Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Hi, Rory. Hey, Paul. It's great to be here. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad you're here. Um, This is the podcast where we talk about helping people grow to their full potential through mm-hmm. coaching and this is what you do day in and day out yeah not yeah. just uh 20 to 25 minutes a week <laughs> right yeah it's just it's not the podcast that does this oh, it's, okay yeah it's but it's uh i love doing it love working with organizations and it, it's a scenario when uh, i first started um you know i was doing sales training it just wasn't working and then i started teaching the management teams how to coach sales training and the results were remarkable well today you're going to talk about high-performance coaching. Absolutely. You're going to talk now, high-performance coaching, high-performance teams, those concepts. So does that mean every other time it's just been a regular old coaching? <laughs> but since you've tuned into this one, this is the high-performance stuff. This is the extra special this one. Is, this is the extra. This is hidden content. Hidden you know, con- you, perfect. Yeah, you can't, you, just can't, you can't get this anywhere. You That's can't get excellent. this anywhere. <laughs> but I've been reading a, I've been reading a book uh, by Alan Fine, and he's got a great book. And his whole title of the book is You Already Know How to Be Great. And that's one of the concepts of coaching is people know how to be great. They know what you got to do is pull out the inner genius that of the folks you're working with. And so and it's really to be a high-performance coach and be a high-performance team is the power of focus. Mm-hmm. And I love the quote from Brian Tracy. He says, your ability, to advi- your ability to divert your attention from activities of lower value mm. to activities of higher value is central to everything you can accomplish in life. And I'm a big, huge uh, Brian Tracy's fan. If you've ever listened to The Psychology of Achievement, I highly recommend uh, you listen to his audio series, The Psychology of Achievement. I've probably listened to it literally hundreds of times, and it's just excellent. I just love his stuff. But the, the power of coaching and to be a high-performance team, you've got to get your team focused on not on those things that are inter- interference. Those You've got to get them focusing on things that are um, the high-performance activities, just making it simple and focusing on those items. So a lot of people out there are having New Year's resolutions. They're going to manage their time better. Mm-hmm. Is that what he's talking about here? Well, I almost call that the the lie of time management. Okay. And, the, and the lie of time management is that, you know, you can – multitask and you can all do all of these things and as a human being you can't multitask you have to focus on one thing at a time and you have to focus on that thing almost completely there's a a great uh, video online about um uh, mr rogers Mm -hmm. and mr rogers uh, has there's one segment it's a famous segment on youtube where he's talking to a young boy and the young boy is in a wheelchair and Mr. Rogers is so kind, so generous. You know, he's such a good human being. Mm-hmm. And the young man comes in in his wheelchair, and he asks him about his wheelchair and things like that. And he's very kind. He's very gentle. He's all of that. And you'd expect him to do that. Sure. But the thing that he's really good at is he just completely focuses on this young mm-hmm. man and his power of focusing on him. And I like to show that uh, that image to my clients, and then we talk about what did Mr. Rogers do really well here. And he really focused on that young man. And what I encourage them to do in order to perform a high-performance team is when you're coaching your teammate, have that focus. Have that complete focus like Mr. Rogers did with that young man. So from a time management point of view, the lie of time management is trying to do more with the regular time. You're saying focus is the key. 
focus is the key. You, you can't get rid of some of that stuff you're not supposed to be doing anyway, right? Right. Like like a lot of managers tell me in their coaching sessions, they have the distractions. Their their email will ping or their phone will you know buzz and. Those are all distractions. Those are interference. As we've talked about, the formula for success is performance equals potential minus interference. And the important key of that is that your phone going off, your email pinging, any of those kinds of things can create that interference mm-hmm. and keeps you from being a high performer. So I, I when I see, hear managers that have that, I say, do you have to use that room? Can you use a different room? Can you use somebody else's office? Can you... You know, do you have two chairs in your office and get away from your desk and then just set side by side? Mm-hmm. Anything to eliminate that interference can help improve your performance. So you get a higher level of performance in your team. Mm-hmm. So get away from the, the lies of time management. And so uh, Alan Fine also said this uh, from his book, You Already Know How to Be Great. He said, the biggest obstacle in performance is not knowing, is, isn't not knowing what to do. It's in not doing what we know. Mm. And I think that's absolutely true. We, we know to do it, but we get so caught up in the, the ancillary things, the interference, all those things that, that make us go off track. Right. Really focus. We allow ourselves to be um, distracted right. and distracted. Right. And just like, the, the, you know, it's just like we've seen these horrific accidents that have occurred on the interstates recently. And I'm convinced the vast majority of them are from the fact of distracted drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who's playing with their cell phone, just checking a text, texting, something like that. And then all of a sudden, horrific things occur because of that. I mean, we've had these, you know, fair weather, horrific accidents where, you know, I don't remember that kind of stuff 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, it, 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 it could be my no. my mindset. No. Mm-mm. But I think, you know, that's, I think your career's the same way. If you're distracted in those little things, you can't focus on the big things to get the big results. And so Peter Drucker had another great quote. He says, the problem in my life and other people's lives is not the absence of knowing what to do, but the absence of doing it. And, you know, we know that we've got to be not be distracted when we're coaching, but we've got to really focus on those things to, to do that. So what, how, how do we identify what are those things that we should do? How does that make us have high performance instead of just average performance? I think one of the one of the simplest ways to do this, and it's, it's a challenge for many managers, is to simply ask your employees, is is there something I'm doing that you recognize that I could do better to make to build a relationship, for me to coach you better? You know, and then to say, hey, if if I'm and then let them know it's okay to say, hey, call you on being distracted on the phone, on the email, on those things, so that you're really focused on them when you're in that coaching session, that you're, that person you're working with is the highest priority that you're working with at that time. Because, the, you know, everything else is ancillary. If, if your folks are not performing at the highest level possible and they don't feel empowered, passionate, fired up, charged up, it's not gonna, you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And the difference between high, let's say first place and second place is not – a lot, uh, you know, it's it, these distractions, right? Right, but the but the results can be incredible. And I love this. I love this analogy from the 2007 uh, Professional Golf Golfers Association Tour, and that's when Tiger Woods was at his heyday. And in 2007, he was the top golfer in the world. And but the number two golfer, you know, just as a challenge out there to folks who are listening, you know, what how many strokes do you think on average? And I, you, I'm not going to put you on the spot to answer this, but just out there, what, how many strokes? Two, three, four, five strokes, you know, a, a game. And literally the answer is, and I won't torture anybody with this, it's 1.5 strokes. Wow. 
So if, if Tiger Woods was shooting a 68, you know, second place was shooting 69.5 mm-hmm. on average. However, right. let's talk about the prize money. You would think the prize money, you know, one guy would earn 10 million, and the next guy down in second place would earn 7.5 million. Uh-huh. But that wasn't the case. Tiger Woods earned that year about 10.8 million in prize money. Jeff Overton, who was the number two golfer in the world at that time, he was 1.5 strokes behind Tiger Woods. He earned only $1 million. Oh, my. But the real thing that was remarkable to me is that's almost a 10 to 1 ratio, but mm-hmm. there's an 81, 80 to 1 ratio on Tiger Woods endorsement money. Tiger Woods earned over $80 million on endorsement money. And Jeff Overton, I mean, who would even say I've even heard of him? I, I don't know who that is. Right. I mean, if, if somebody had said to me, who's Jeff Overton, I yeah. would have never known. Now, if they say, who's Tiger Woods, I would know. But it was that power of, of focus that, that Tiger Woods had. So if you can just get your team to improve just incrementally, mm-hmm. typically the returns on that can be exponentially in return. And I just think that's such a powerful That's pretty concept. motivating because a lot of times you think the goal so high. Mm-hmm. I would have thought it'd be a lot different. I did too. You know? When I saw that, when I saw that statistic the very first time, I was like, "Wow, mm-hmm. 1.5 strokes per round." I mean, that's just incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just out of 18 holes, yeah, just missing one stroke difference. The difference between making um, 10 million dollars and 1 million dollars is 1.5 strokes. Right. It's basically yeah. you know that little putt that lips out that didn't make it, whereas mm-hmm. Tiger Woods made that putt. Yeah, because of focus, probably. Yeah, focus, his abilities, all of those things. But the key is for the the reason I want this analogy is is to show you that if you focus as a team manager and you want high performance teams, just a small incremental change mm-hmm. can lead to much greater results. You know that high leverage return, and I just think that's the that's the point of high performance teams is is to do that. And then you know John Carter goes into greater detail, and he observes that general managers noted general managers that he observed. Uh, for getting results have common characteristics. And one of them, they focus totally on a limited agenda Mm -hmm. of clear objectives to keep their people constantly and measurably moving towards those objectives. Kind of back to that lie of time management, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to do better incrementally on the, the low, on a minimal number of objectives than try to do everything, right? Three to five yeah. major objectives. Okay. You can't you can't improve everything. Mm-hmm. But if you can improve three to five things that that are high leverage activities, then all of a sudden the results you get are pretty remarkable and can be can be incredible in that regard. How, how would you suggest identifying what those high leverage things are? Well, one of the best. I mean, I do is tr- uh, tr- a tremendous, amount, a tremendous amount of strategic planning. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do with my clients is we basically step down and say, what's the two or three or four or five things that you could do that's going to make an impact in your organization going forward? And almost every time, boards of directors, C-level suite folks can always say, if we do these three or four things, we're going to knock it's, it out of the park. So it's almost self-evident to them already, right? Right. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like Alan Fine's title of his book, You Already Know How to uh, Be Great. Yeah, okay. Time <laughs> but, to back in. Exactly. Like yeah. But, but the key is people already know. We as coaches need to challenge them with those questions so they can focus on those major items. Because a lot of times they get caught up in those minor details that right. are so insignificant and we get spent all of our time on that. Mm-hmm. And and we know those people that do that. They get caught up in drama at the office. That's non-productive and doesn't help the organization at all. But they do that, uh, and it really makes us uh, it makes us get off track. So, and we and certainly don't want to do that. Right. 
And then uh, one of the suggestions on a follow-up to that question you have is, you know, how do you stay more focused? Yeah. Um, in his book, Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done, former CEO of Honeywell International, Larry Bosity said, a leader who says I've got 10 priorities doesn't know what he's talking mm-hmm. about. He doesn't know himself, what's most important, and what the most important things are. You've got to have a few things, clearly realistic goals and priorities, which can influence an overall, which can influence the overall performance of the company. And that's the key. Just, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't, and, and I'll give you an example of this. One time I was on a plane with a guy and, and I saw him and he had this huge, thick three ring binder and uh, he was really well dressed and we were in first class and, and I just got, I didn't charge the client first class. I mean, I got upgraded. <laughs> All the clients out there, I'm not flying first class on your, on your, your on dime. Your dime. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I get bumped up because I fly so much and, and, and I just think it's fair to a client not to charge him for first class. But anyway, got bumped up, sitting next to a guy, he had a three ring binder. And, well, and in the three-ring binder, I'm, I'm asking him, you know, and he's looking pretty distraught. And I'm going, what's going on? He goes, well, they brought in this management team and these PhDs, and <laughs> they were looking and they were evaluating my performance, and they've got 52 areas oh, no. that I can I can improve on. And it's like, that's one a week. You know, how are you going to do that? How right. can you improve on 52 items? If they had said, here's three or five high-leverage activities that you could do to really improve your performance, then that executive could do that. Mm-hmm. But he's, there's no way he's going to do 52. No. And he knew that. He knew it. And, but the, the thing is, look at the amount of money that company spent right. on a complete diversion. And so when you talk about performance equals potential minus interference, in my mind, that three-ring binder became interference. And they're completely setting him up to fail. Absolutely. And he could do 40 of them, which would be amazing. Right. And still, you didn't get a lot of them done. Right. You didn't get them all done. Right. You didn't right. get them all done. Yeah. Right. There's no way he's going to get all There's 52. There's no way. No way. And so if they had three or There's four There's no way five, anyone could. No way. Yeah. So if he had three to five goals that he could work on, then ta-da, he could say, I'm making incremental growth there. Um, but, you know, I, I do this with my clients. I do a success scorecard, and I do evaluations on CEOs. And so I've got one client. We've done this for 15 years now. And if they've hit the goal, it's green. If they don't hit the goal, it's yellow. And it was remarkable. The CEO took a 15-year spreadsheet, and when we started the process, you know, many years ago, it wasn't they weren't all green. But as he progressed and he learned to run the organization more effectively, you could see more and more green on the sheet, and then to the point where it's almost completely green. Mm. And that's because he could focus on he could focus on he he had 15 ratios that he had to have for his financial institution, but he could focus on those things that were most important in the organization, and many of them were. Really, it came down to probably three or five ratios that are really important, but you know, you've know, got to nitpick and pick and choose yeah. between the other ones. But it was remarkable to see how he improved. And so he truly became a high-performance organization, and he does. He performs much higher than his peers. So um, that's the key there. So, <clears throat> again, high performance versus low performance. Mm-hmm. Give, us some, give us some tips on um, – how to do this high perfor- high performance coaching model? Absolutely, and there's some there's some great uh, you know on Alan Fine's book he talks about you already know how to be great. I'm going to poach that again, but uh, one of the things that that he talks about is high performance versus low performance, and he uses three words on high performance teams compared to low performance teams. And his high performance teams they have faith, fire, and focus. And I love that concept because faith talks about belief in one's abilities to get the job done, to learn, and to adapt. Uh, low performance, they're insecure. 
they have fear and self-doubt. And so they're not absolutely certain that they can accomplish this goal. And so fear and self-doubt, again, is interference. But self-belief, you just continue to learn and continue to grow. Uh, whereas fire, he talks about passion, energy, and commitment. And I think that's important. But in low-performance teams, there's indifference, there's apathy, there's lack of, uh, there's lack of interest, and there's lack of compliance. And so you see that with low-performance teams. I mean, I know you've probably worked in organizations, and you've had low-performance teams, and you have sure. team members who they go to work and they could care less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go on you know, a high-performance team, man, people are focused, they're fired up, they're charged up, they're ready to go. And that's the complete difference. And the key with when I've been working with organizations and, and moving them from – you know, being below their peers and national average to making them above their peers and national average by, say, almost three times, you could see that that change from indifference and and not knowing. I think the other side the other side of that is a, a lack of knowledge. They just don't know how okay. to improve it. And then his his final point is focus, and focus is attention and concentration versus low performance teams or inconsistent. They lack an effort. They're irregular performance. They lack effort. They're interrupted effort. They're distracted effort. Uh, they're trying to multitask, mm-hmm. uh, whereas high-performance teams focus. They know what they want to accomplish. They know what they want to achieve. So in order for you to have a high-performance team, you've got to have faith, fire, and focus. And those three keys are the keys to being an outstanding coach uh, in the in the high performance coaching model. And it's just a better environment to go into mm-hmm. to work at. It probably feeds on itself, probably as well. Absolutely. So, so how do you bring it to from low to high? Yeah. How what's, do you br- what's the was as a coach? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about high-performance coaching model here, just a couple of the, the facts of it. Okay. And then some of the questions you can ask. Oh, uh, questions. Rory Rowland <laughs> t- wants us to ask questions. Bingo. The it, thought bubble. The thought, put the thought bubble over their head. Okay. Make sure you're asking the questions because high-performance coaching. I should have known this. <laughs> From now on, I'll just say, what's the solution questions? Okay. <laughs> we can certainly do that. Right. But uh, the high-performance coaching model, it promotes, it promotes effective communication and trust, and that's one of the keys to it. It also creates an employee-manager relationship. As you work together and you start to see success, you know, the employee, the manager, they build this relationship. They build this trust. Uh, high-performance coaching also creates an atmosphere of continuous improvement and continuous learning. And I'll show you that in example in, in a second. Helps businesses and employees reach their exceed their goals, and that is absolutely true. I, when I've worked with organizations, and it's just been remarkable to see the results that have changed over time when they've done that. And then, you know, aids in their, their daily performance management. As you get better at looking at your goals, you start to break those goals down into daily activity, and then all of a sudden that really hones your activity. Sure. So high-performance questions. So you're sitting down and you're working with either a team or an employee. Here are some of the questions that you can ask. And then uh, one of the questions you can ask is, how's it going since last time we met? Mm -hmm. What progress did you make on your goals, your action plans? Where are you at? You know, what went well? What didn't go well? Um, What areas do you need help on? And I think those are, as you continue to ask those questions and you put the thought bubble over the employee's head Mm -hmm. and they start to improve their skill sets, their learning improves, then ta-da, remarkable things occur. right? And that's really what we want to do with the, the learning model. And then some additional questions you can ask are, um, what was your thinking in this process? So when you hit this obstacle or that obstacle, what brought you to this point? And what, uh, what, what would you like to recommend next time? 
And that's the, that's the next follow-up question. What did you do next or what would you do next given this set of information? What more could have been done to hit that goal? What can you do differently or better next time? And then how can I help? Mm-hmm. And I think those are great, uh, great questions to ask. Because you already know, what's it? You already know how, how be to great. be great. Exactly. You already I know wanted to quote <laughs> the title of the book exactly. Yeah, you know, those are great because, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you've continually t- uh, said this, mm-hmm. ask the questions, the thought bubble, because people really already know what they need to do. Right. But, you know, we're, uh, managers that I talk to, they go, how do I make a high-performance team? And really it comes down, it's very, very simple. It's not, it's not complicated. When I, when I work with organizations and we do, like, sales training, and uh, the employees start out and they're doing it very poorly, okay? We all start out poor. But the thing is you never say to them, that's wrong. You say, okay, this person did this, and then what? And then you ask the group, what did they do well? Mm-hmm. And you have them write it down, mm-hmm. okay? Because what that does is that creates a, a, a volume of peer persuasion. Whenever, when you ask the entire group to take a moment and write it down, you as an employee are not going to not write something down. You're going to at least mm-hmm. scribble. Right. You're going to do something. And right. that starts right. that, that peer persuasion, that peer influence. And then when you have the discussion about, okay, what did this, this – it might have been an absolutely terrible customer service moment. But then when you say, okay, what did they do? And, you know, what did they do well? They said, well, they, they paid attention. They heard the customer. They listened to them. They, they brought them in. They, you know, they closed the account for them, and which was not the goal, was not to close the account. We want to open accounts. We want to start, you know, building relationships. And then you say, okay. And then, then you ask the question, and how could we have made that better? What could we have done to make that better? If you just do that process yeah, right. every week mm-hmm. with your organization, all of a sudden your employees start to get the concept Oh, that's what they're talking about. Right. I have to do this. I have to think of these ideas. Right. And I have to execute them, and I have Mm -hmm. to learn how to have that conversation with that consumer so that we can make the organization better. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's incremental change. But then when you look at it in in a three-year retrospect, then, you you know, I've gotten clients that have had 15% growth every quarter, which is – they had never had that before. And it was simply because – they ask those questions consistently over time. And when they did that, it was truly remarkable the results they got. And then they became a high-performance team. I mean, that's – it sounds so simple. Mm -hmm. And it just – people don't do it on a consistent basis. But maybe that's a New Year's resolution everybody (laughs) needs to to work on. They should absolutely do that because, you know – and, and it's going back to the Brian Tracy quote that I started with. We'll probably mm-hmm. end with that. Okay. And Brian Tracy says, The ability to divert your attention from activities of low value to activities of high value is central to everything you can accomplish in life. And I agree with that completely. That is really the ultimate goal of this. And when you're coaching, if you continue to focus your folks on those high leverage activities and they focus on that and they pursue those and they accomplish them, what happens is your career as a manager goes way, way up. up. And it yeah. was just like, uh, remember we interviewed Mike Bray mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, and when he learned these concepts, he was managing eight employees. Mm-hmm. By the time he finished, he was literally uh, managing thousands. And because that was a high leverage activity, learning how to coach effectively was a high leverage activity for his career. Well, one uh, activity which would be helpful to folks mm-hmm. is if they had 
an opportunity to learn more about this mm-hmm. on an online setting. Right. Do you have anything like that coming up that I do? You I, can I tell actually about? I actually have a learning management system uh, oh. called. <laughs> thank you for for sharing that. Yeah. I have a learning management system called uh, CoachingManager.University. So you can go out there and go out there and get to CoachingManager.University. Uh, it's a fifty-two week program. You can learn these ideas. Uh, I take you through a couple of books that are really excellent coaching tools, but it allows you to learn these things on an incremental process. So just get a hold of us at uh, RoyRoland.com or CoachingManager.University, and that you can get a hold of us, and we can get you signed up. And that's the way to get a hold of you for any of the other consulting or any of the other programs that Speaking, you consulting, offer, all of that. a lot of people are planning their year now, and they're ready to um, find out more, so... That's wonderful. They can get a hold of you. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. See you next time. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com. Thank <laughs> you.